recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Are you ready? Hey, everybody! Hey, folks! Hello, everybody! People in the back! Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the Inner Loop! Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the Inner Loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah. We're gonna get started. Welcome to the Interloop Radio on Full Service Radio, recorded from our homes in Washington, D.C. for our special quarantine edition. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. And for all of our loyal listeners out there, don't forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there here on the Interloop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page while stuck in our houses for the foreseeable future. <laughs> we play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series, and we invite a few of those writers and local community members to join our discussion. As we just mentioned, today's show is being recorded remotely from our separate homes, and our guests will also be joining us remotely um, because we are obeying the coronavirus quarantine. We're going to discuss ways to creatively cope with coronavirus woes, writerly style. But first, we want to celebrate Women's History Month by honoring some local ladies of literature. That's right. Um, you know, it's it seems hard at this stage of the game um, to continue on with our, our regularly scheduled programming and to celebrate the things that we want to be celebrating. Um, so I think it's really important that we make some time for that while we can, um, while also addressing the issue at hand. Absolutely. Uh, so March is, is Women's History Month. And as we know, there are lots of incredible women writers the world over. Um, Many of whom, though, who, you know, didn't necessarily get to be their true creative selves during their lifetimes. Um, so I wanted to chat about some of those and then also women who've inspired us and and all 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 that jazz. <laughs> right. Who who were some of your like favorite uh, female writers as a young writer or as you were like really starting to dig into your craft? Um <laughs> Have I really started to dig into my craft? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think my two biggest um, influences, female influences, were probably Sylvia Plath and Flannery O'Connor. I'm always like Miss Classicist because I went to undergrad for um, classics, so I'm always bringing up these very classic authors, but I'm afraid that's that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Don't be afraid. That's, you know, like there are, there are women in the canon for a reason. There just aren't more of them for another reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I always connected to Sylvia Plath's like dark and brooding style. And then Flannery O'Connor, of course, like 
represents that Southern um, perspective, which I really connect with. Yeah, for sure. I was, uh, I mean, in terms of my, my environmental and nature writing leanings, I've always been inspired by Rachel Carson as both an activist and uh, a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, of course, Annie Dillard is is one of my favorites. You know, but every time goddess. I, <laughs> yeah, every time I try to write something, I'm like, well, Annie did it better, so I shouldn't do this. <laughs> um, but those are definitely. I, I feel like I drew a lot of inspiration for them, like when I was like first starting to take writing seriously. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, not. I mean, not poetry. That's a that's a different story. But um, but my nonfiction writing for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I was thinking, you know, I was thinking a lot about this episode and like all the women who wrote under, you know, pseudonyms or yeah. plumes. And I was doing a little research, and of course, there's the famous the Bronte sisters. They were Kerr, Ellis, and Acton Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then George Sand was actually, you know, the the famous Parisian was Amatine Lucille Aurora Dupin. I'm probably butchering that name. <laughs> um, and then some more current ones, uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, has like done various different iterations of her name and gotten lots of flack for it. Um, and I was super, I like didn't think of this at all, but okay, so, you know, I grew up kind of in a beach town and would, you know, when not working during the summers, you know, read some trashy romance novels on the beach by Nora Roberts, who also goes by J.D. Robb. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants a good trashy romance, wow. <laughs> she's got you covered. <laughs> I have actually considered, like, shortening my name so you couldn't tell if I was male or female. Really? So yeah. what would be the why? Why do you think that would be better or worse? Yeah, no, it's it's like an interesting question, but kind of I just don't want my gender to like influence um, readers or editors or people who are reading my stuff, you know? Yeah, so that's a big that's a big question, right? It's like it, especially now in this day and age, there are still disparities as we know. Um, do we want to like take the bull by the horns and be like, you know, scream to the top of our lungs, I am female, I'm proud kind of thing, mm-hmm. and embrace this and embrace my writing, or say, hey, don't judge me for this, judge me for my work alone. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, I think that's really what the biggest appeal is, is that it provides a certain amount of anonymity. Um, mm-hmm. You get to like separate who you are from the thing you're presenting to the world, which is kind of ironic because I'm a nonfiction writer and write about my life. So <laughs> first of all, I would never be able to do that. And secondly, <laughs> I clearly uh, don't mind people being invited into my personal life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, um, we have some local ladies of Lit to join us up next, and they've got a lot to say on this topic and more. So let's stay tuned, and we'll we'll get them here in our at-home studios. This one is called Aphelion. Um, And there's a little epigraph at the beginning by Tom Robbins from his book, Jitterbug Perfume. Um, It's, to diminish the worth of women, men had to diminish the worth of the moon. Aphelion. 
On the first day you left, it rained lilacs, your favorite purple. Violets grew in my lap, lavender sprung up on day three, stretched its newborn arms to where wings blossomed on my back. Open petaled as lilies, less fragile once the blood washed away. I thought you'd be back after the sun came up for you. There was no sun for those two weeks. I've seen enough sunrises to know they aren't special anymore. I can fly better without the heat. Oh, what a difference the moon makes. Thank you. Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio. That was Emily Holland reading Ophelian at an Inner Loop event. In light of Women's History Month, we've been discussing some awesome women writers and the roles they've played in inspiring our own work. And joining us now on the show to give us their take are Hannah Oliver Depp, owner of Loyalty Bookstores, and Kristen Zori King, the mastermind behind Moonlit DC, a local organization dedicated to fostering creativity and community through accessible and engaging literary-based programming. Welcome, Hi, Hannah welcome. and Chris. Hey. Thanks for joining us virtually. Thank you for having <laughs> us, and thank you for um, doing this as safely yes. as possible. Yes, I deeply appreciate it. Of course. Well, we're, we're so glad you were, you're still ready and game and, and able to join us in this fashion and be a little experimental with us, so thank you. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's tell us who you are. First of all, we'll start. Hannah, why don't you give us a, a little background on who you are and, and who women writers are in your life? And yeah, just a little, little bio blurb. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, own and run loyalty bookstores. Uh, we're in Petworth in Washington, DC and Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, two great communities that are very close together, but <laughs> divided by the state line. Um, but we are both, both off of Georgia Avenue. Um, and uh, yeah, so we are actually like focused intersectional feminist bookstore. So um, we always uh, privilege giving space in our store to um, women, LGBTQ, queer writers, um, and uh, people of color first and foremost in the store. Um, and uh, yeah, so women writers are obviously a huge part of not only my personal reading life, but the inventory of the bookstore. So, um, I mean, I think a lot of women writers that I have experienced really deeply are speculative fiction writers. So, you know, Octavia Butler and N.K. Mm-hmm. Jemison obviously really spring to right mind. Um, I'm a big romance reader and like really champion the um deep feminism of female pleasure um so i love that yeah novels um uh and then uh mystery writers uh like tana french i think are always really delicious too so uh and then i also had like a classical education so i also have that like here are the three women that they let in the canon right (laughs) times and whose words are burned into my brain like that i was just looking at my bookshelf and i like two shelves of like Virginia Woolf Um, and you know I'm a woman of color and they just like you know told me I didn't exist for most of my education Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, especially because I love medieval literature and turns out there were brown people in the medieval period so it's this interesting thing I think a lot of my uh, reading is also rediscovering um, Mm. 
the way that like the women have been re-entering the canon this mm-hmm. whole time actually by rediscovery. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea. Chris, tell us a little bit about Sure. Yourself. So uh, my name is Chris. I run an organization called Moonlit. Um, we do low-cost, accessible, and engaging literary programs in D.C., Baltimore, Silver Spring, and um, Virginia. We partner with local bookstores and organizations to do events, workshops, all kinds of things. Um, I'm also a writer. I'm a poet and nonfiction writer um, and, and very tentative fiction writer as of late. Um, but I come to writing as I think a lot of us do as a reader. Um, and you know, some of the women that have really inspired me in poetry are, uh, Lucille Clifton. Um, she was kind of like, I would say my gateway poet, uh, and Mary Oliver <laughs> as well. I'm really inspired by her work. Um, oh man, I've been rereading oh. dog songs. I'm just crying every night. <laughs> yeah, especially this time of year. She's um, really great to read. Um, and in terms of prose, I absolutely second um, Hannah's recommendation of Tana French. Um, I also am really inspired by like Carmen Maria Machado, Lauren Groff, um, Agatha Christie, Otessa Moshveg, Um both like inspired as a reader. They're, they're writers that really um, connect me and make me feel like invigorated as a reader. But I also like if I could even write one sentence close to what they write, I would be happy. (laughs) That seems to be kind of the bar, right? Like we're like, oh man, if I could even just touch that, it would be be magical. Um, Hannah, I want to come back to something you were mentioning in in just a moment um, about making space for people. Um, But before we do, I kind of wanted, you've all mentioned some of your favorites um, around, and this is one of those silly questions, but people ask it at cocktail parties all the time, and it's something that I think is important um, to meditate on. Who are some women or women-identifying writers um, who you would want to meet and why, living and or dead. Um, can I go? Awesome. Yeah, yeah this so is this Chris. is Chris. Um, so in terms of like living, I have a pretty bad track record with meeting authors that I love, by which I mean um, I get – I don't think I'm like outwardly too bad, but inward I'm like a sweaty mess. Um So, like, I have a bunch of people I would love to meet. I think, like, the romance author Deanna Rayburn would be, like, super fun to have a cocktail with. Um, Lauren Groff, who I mentioned before, is from a similar uh, uh, area near upstate New York where I'm from. So we could probably, like, bond over that. Um, uh, But I think, like, for me, it's more, like, dead authors. I think Agatha Christie would be, like, a blast. (laughs) Yeah, um, like, it's like total <laughs> drama and gin. Um, even like, I don't know. I feel like Mary Wollstonecraft and I could like get angry together and like talk about addiction and <laughs> like really have like a nice rough and tumble. Yeah, Hannah, I want to ask you. Um, you know, as an organizer of a lot of events and as a bookseller, maybe who are some of the women who you have met already? Yeah, I mean, that's the the very strange thing. If you're a bookseller for long enough, and I've been doing it now for over a decade, you 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 meet so many people. And the thing about authors is the majority of them are not made for author <laughs> tours. 
And so if you're in this business, you actually spend most of your time like calming them down oh. and making them feel comfortable <laughs> and, like, and like getting them as to like go talk to a group of people and then have like, um, you know, either a small audience because it's hard to get people to leave their houses and go to things. Or even if it's a big audience, like they're going to have to stand there and like sign a bunch of books and like talk to a bazillion people and they get so drained. So it's really <laughs> funny um, because after meeting like a, a couple, then you just like are in work mode and it, it sort of, then you'll be like later be like, Oh my God, I hung out with that amazing person. <laughs> but, like, you were just like getting them tea. They were going to have, you know, potentially even like a panic attack or something. It's just, it's very funny because it's such business to me now. Um, but I've got, I mean, from... Hannah, do you get nervous at all or not really? No, I also do, have done theater most of my life. Yeah. And so there's just like a like machine part of me that kicks mm-hmm. in when like public events happen. And, uh, you know, it it just stops. But I, the only author that I actually, um, uh, uh, I mean, I've met, so many different people and uh the only person that i ever freaked out uh around was alan alda um who does not fit in with women's history month um except <laughs> that he was there at an event to support his wife who was really lovely and she'd written a book about um growing up in new york and uh i like completely lost it and started crying because i watched every episode of mash a thousand times <laughs> so <laughs> that was the only one and it was very confusing all my coworkers was like you've literally met all the presidents <laughs> We like met Margaret Atwood several times and didn't blink. And I was like, "Cause that's working. This is Alan." Oh, so that's my most embarrassing moment that I just sit on the podcast. But I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've like from, um, you know, authors like, uh, you know, um, you know, gender non-conforming authors and queer authors like Sarah Galay, who's just a super like, if you you need to follow them, Galley Frey on um, Twitter. They're the one of the funniest people on the internet too. People have, who have become, you know, great pals in the book industry, like Jamie Attenberg or um, NMS Straub. Um, Tana French is a freaking delight to talk to about <laughs> books. Um, I would say chat with mystery authors and romance authors yeah. about the genre. If you ever meet them, they are the nicest, like, people in the biz, I think. And also, like, so engaged with their craft and with, um, like, they're such fans of each other, too, which is just so lovely. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, if you're going to meet your heroes, meet a genre author. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, like, like meeting, um, NK Jemison or, or Margaret Howard was like huge for me, of course. And then, but I just like went right back to business. So I've got to meet some amazing people, but you often don't really realize it or get to appreciate it. Cause you're like, you know, you're running a signing line for Zadie Smith. You just are like making yeah. sure that those people are moving and everything's good. And she's going to be like, get out on time. And then you're like, Oh my God, I just was talking to Zadie Smith. <laughs> we, I feel it like comes over you later. Yeah. We've, we, I think Rach and I, we've definitely run into that a bit with some of the readers at our events. Um, real quickly before we transition here into coronavirus land or back into coronavirus (laughs) land um i wanted to touch on something that rachel and i kind of brought up um and that's this idea of making space for uh female writers and how do we do that um in a way that isn't trite and and does equality mean not acknowledging gender or what do you what is your take on that as organizers I think, um, so for me, I think like Hannah is the perfect person to talk 
to about this um, because she's such a, a fantastic leader in the art scene, especially in DC. Um, and it's because of stores like hers that put a spotlight on underrepresented voices that we're starting to see a shift. Um, but what I just kind of want to add to the conversation is like, I truly don't believe we value women's stories um, mm-hmm. as much as we think we do. Um, you know, and that's because our cultural tastes and norms and standards are are very much focused like in a male lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that needs to be like a very active shift. And it's, you know, again, cultural leaders like Hannah and her bookstore that we are starting to see that shift. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I do think it needs to be very active. Definitely. Yeah, I think it needs to be active. I think that um, there is often a desire to be like post-gender and post-racial and da 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 which I... Uh, look at with a lot of skepticism because I think it's often it's either put forward sometimes out of sheer exhaustion which I understand and respect and just being like can we be done Um, or perhaps is put from a place of privilege and safety in and of itself Mm -hmm. and then the reality is that it's an incredibly privileged position Um, and we're never going to get anywhere wherever that end goal is which I I I think end goal is probably incorrect (laughs) and not the way of understanding (laughs) human history but that's a whole other podcast it's Um, right but um, I think that it's it's you if you do not talk about it, it helps no one. And Definitely in fact, that's celebrating all various forms and expression of um, femininity, um, however you want to express that, um, and also acknowledging cultural restrictions, bias, baggage, history um, is wonderful. I think some of the most incredible art has come out of that. Like you, you, you don't like Sappho's not like I'm genderless. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, let's get into the lady parts. Like this is, um, you know, and you're, whether you're talking about like celebrating women and as soon as you do that, you need to think about um, gender binaries and defying all of that. And how do we move fluidly through that? And what kind of spaces are we creating um, are our queer spaces genuinely inviting to all different forms of presentation? Um, how are we talking about that? I'm just constantly learning. And I think that you have to create a space for learning when you talk about creating a space um, that is going to invite everybody in mm-hmm. um, as long as that learning is respectful and people are doing the work because it's right. not the job of the minority to educate the majority. Mm-hmm. Um they have all the privilege, they can take the time to do it, but it's also important to have a space to then go and deepen that learning. Um, so I really get very resentful when people want to not engage with gender or race mm-hmm. or, um, but I also do find it extremely exhausting and pigeonholing um, because right. usually the way that becomes structurally represented, especially in publishing or when shelving a book or whatever, you know, when you get put into the, um, you know, special uh, category, the, bi- yeah. the binary, the binary code mm-hmm. that Female it comes to every book. Yeah. Female poet. Yeah. It's a category. <laughs> you know, I look up a book when I'm, um, you know, ordering it or shelving it and all of our various tools that we have in the publishing industry to, um, you know, look, and it's like 13 subcategories and it's like ladies <laughs> and they're, they're not, you know, lady book is attached to lady book, but male book is not attached to male book. Right. And, there's reasons for that, that we might not want to start labeling things male book, you know, <laughs> but like, I don't need to know it's a lady book. Um, right. But that kind of goes back to uh, Rachel's point of like, 
should you have like a gender neutral author name because you know women's women authors tell women's stories whereas male authors are still perceived to tell everyone's story mm-hmm. yeah um i was thinking a lot <laughs> about um, claire bay watkins um i guess it was like a few years ago now um published and talked about this really wonderful thing of like realizing that um they have a short story novella collection called battleborn i think and then gold fame citrus is a gorgeous novel um that takes place after a sort of environmental apocalypse it's n- not relatable at all <laughs> it's really really wonderful but might be a little triggering for people now or they might be really into it one of the two um but she published this really incredible op-ed it's like i've been getting good reviews in my whole life because i supposedly write masculine mm. and like what the frick and like i believed this my whole life and what does that mean? Does that mean and um and it's totally like ingrained in myself and then interestingly enough marlon james responded back and was like now do it black and queer and so <laughs> they had this, like really interesting public conversation mm-hmm. about the pressure to be white heterosexual cisgender male mm-hmm. writer <laughs> and like the, that that's a cage that all of us are trapped mm-hmm. in um including white dudes and like yeah. <laughs> what you know, what the frick <laughs> like, <laughs> how do we get past this and like the only way to get past it is to keep talking about it but the pressure to be, you know, you mentioned J.K. Rowling, and it was just like, well, boys will buy a book written by a girl. And you're like, actually, I can tell you as a bookseller, parents will not buy a book for a boy written by a yeah. woman. Wow. It's still a problem every time I hand sell to parents or grandparents or aunts or whatever. People are just like, um, it's a boy. And I was like, cool, what are their interests? <laughs> Who are they as people? <laughs> you're like, okay, hey, they're not really, you know, they're not sure yet. They like to eat things. But, you know, like, it is really interesting. We're still having these conversations about kids. And you're like, I would just, I feel like that is where I buy more into what if you didn't know the gender of the author? What if you did? Because right. um, mm-hmm. I, do, I do get that impulse because it's coming from the adults. It's not coming from the from kids. The but we're putting it on the kids yeah. from day one. When I was a bookseller, um, I think one of the most common things that would happen to me is um, women who would apologize at the register, you know, uh, and say something like, oh, I know it's, you know, I know it's not a serious book or I know. And I was like, I don't care. I- I'm glad you're buying a book and supporting my business. Yep. I'm not, don't apologize. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And people just feeling really, uh, it is something that independent bookstores still have to overcome is the high fidelity, we're going to judge you for whatever you buy or read thing. And I was like, bookstores are just so happy that you're you reading. came <laughs> into the store that you're reading, that you care. Um, and, you know, it, it is it is this thing. It's like, if anyone is still acting like that, like, first of all, what are you doing? It wasn't even cool in the 90s, but it's definitely not cool now. <laughs> and also, like, get over yourself and also like engage people in conversation it's so so wonderful to talk to people about books it's the only reason we do this <laughs> well that is a great note to end on engaging conversation for this segment um but yeah up next stick around our guests are going to stick around we're all going to tackle isolation and creativity with the love in the time of coronavirus
Welcome back to the Interlope Radio, broadcasting live from our living rooms, thanks to Full Service Radio. We're in our living rooms today and for the foreseeable future because we all care about the safety of our local and global communities. And speaking of, we are turning now to our special segment, Love in the Time of Coronavirus. That's right. With the uncertainty of the world around us, we have an obligation to each other to keep both our physical and emotional selves healthy, and that includes our creative spirits. We have been chatting with Hannah Oliver Depp and Kristen Zoe King about women writers, and these two ladies are also huge local lit community advocates and have some tips for us on how we can stay creatively active and engaged and also support the local businesses that are really struggling during this time um, while still keeping a safe distance from each other. So, Hannah, Chris, tips, tricks, Activities around town. What's happening? What's the slowdown? Suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is Chris. I've been really impressed with the response of bookstores, literary community members, um, people who understand that always, but especially in times of crisis, we turn to art and are offering workshops, readings, um, you know, Zoom hangouts, things like that. So there's definitely um, a lot to do, which I'm happy to start plugging. But I do also just want to say quickly um, that I think that this is very much a time to be gentle with ourselves. Mm. Um, And I think it's great to stay in routine and work towards goals and like, you know, write your novel. But also there's obviously a lot of outside stress and anxiety. So it's okay if you're not halfway Mm. through like the best film you've ever written. that said, um, I'll just plug a couple things that I'm doing. I'm leading a few workshops online through Writers and Books, um, one on grounding in gratitude um, on March 26th, and also one called Poems That Bloom and Bind on April 2nd. Um, and you can find out more about those at wab.org. Um And like Barrel House has some really excellent write-ins. There's one coming up on Found Poems with Erin Dorney, who runs Fear No Lit. Um, I know a lot of bookstores are running online workshops. Um, But there's also great things for readers out there. Um, Barrel House is also doing a read-in. There's a great literary magazine called The Sun that has lifted their paywall for the time being. So you can read such a great magazine. Um, Yeah, they're so great. Um, And like Twitter's been a great resource. Um, There's a poet named Tara Skirtu um, who has a great thread going right now of people reading their, like recording and reading poems and posting them. Um, And also like little things. I was part of, um, there's a poet named Oliver Bendorf who tweeted out um, like a Zoom link and he was like, I'm going to read online from the phantom toll booth um in like 20 minutes and i just joined in and it was so comforting to like have someone read a childhood favorite to me and it was like low stakes and i kind of had it on in the background and it just felt really good so i think um you know we're very fortunate to be in such a connected time and there's a lot of resources out there um and i'm sure hannah too can talk um all about what loyalty is doing and other other bookstores are doing to keep people connected and sane and creative and healthy yeah, I mean, I think most of the bookstores in the DMV, if not all, are currently um, operating with curbside pickup and online orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, those have really been a lifeblood. They've allowed us to keep people um, on, on staff. And uh, hopefully, we're, we're hoping that our local communities will work with us on rent because obviously, it's not like we 
fell behind a COVID-19 bomb dropped on us. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, kind of wartime measures. But so we're, you know, fighting to stay open and fighting to still service the community. And like, for instance, loyalty will be moving our book clubs virtually starting in April. So we can still talk to each other about books for heaven's sakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And you should definitely join um, loyalty's Agatha Christie book club. (laughs) No, <laughs> um, we we normally gather in person and have high tea and sherry um, with the wonderful Chantal Singh. Nice. Incredible literary cocktail gatherings, um, usually. <laughs> so I think all of us are trying to think of how we can do things digitally and make sure we're accessible. Um, and I, um, you know, I've just been really touched by people trying to prioritize shopping local and also really impressed and love, I love working with other small businesses and other local creatives because we are already used to having to just make it work. And so we're actually really good at being flexible in times of crisis like this Mm. and supporting each other and finding ways to to reach out to each other. But um, I would say, you know, one of the best things that you can do is message your friends and say like, let's read a story together. I think one of the saddest parts of like, grown up modern society is that we don't read aloud to each other anymore Mm -hmm. and like literally human society is based on telling each other stories and it really triggers something i think beautiful as opposed to sad inside of us when we hear someone telling us a story so yeah it's funny that you mentioned that hannah because courtney and i have obviously been trying to figure out how to go for forward with the inner loop which is based around bringing lots of people together and uh, reading things out loud so We've been trying to brainstorm, you know, ways to sort of carry that mission forward in this new virtual stage of our lives. Um, yeah, I want to say something, you know, that I've been thinking about a lot and a lot of independent bookstores are talking about amongst ourselves and small businesses in general, that when pushed, it turns out we can be a lot more accessibility friendly than mm-hmm. we ever have been. Um, and I'm very, very conscious, like there is not going to be an event in my store where they're, we're not ADA accessible, but we're, you know, we haven't been live streaming our events. We haven't been, um, you know, really truly making sure that everyone, regardless of various abilities, is able to get the most out of our events. Mm-hmm. And when push comes to shove, now we're being really creative and thinking about these things. And I have seen a lot of, especially on Twitter, you know, like, good job, now do that all the time. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a really small outfit with just a couple people on staff doing almost everything myself. We're, you know, only a year old. Um, so it's not going to be perfect, and I'm not going to be able to do it every time. But I really do think that, like, small businesses and that those in the creative community shouldn't let the fact that we are small be the excuse for not making ourselves as accessibility-friendly as possible, because it turns out we can. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that like we are also very privileged to be in a generation with access to so much tech that's inexpensive, <laughs> as opposed to even ten years ago. You know, it was so much harder to like cast something online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that you know whatever return to quote unquote normalcy that we get to, that we actually keep that in mind and we keep making ourselves flexible and accessible. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Um, Rach, do you want to tell folks kind of what what we're thinking about in terms of trying to connect each other in the meantime? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, just as Hannah pointed out, I think that we're going to be, you know, transferring a lot of or attempting to translate, you know, the kind of things that we offered in person um, to virtual 
community. And so that includes, you know, publishing recordings of people reading their own stuff aloud. Um, we're thinking about a virtual Zoom um, anniversary edition where people can join and, and, and we can still have our flash readings. Um, we're also going to do an exquisite corpse uh, public style, which we are about to um, That's right. <laughs> demonstrate with Hannah and Chris. We're going <laughs> to be posting a public Google Doc to our Facebook page later today, um, and we hope everyone will want to contribute to writing a story together um, and maybe read it out loud to each other. In the meantime, we're going to give a little sample of how it works right here in our home studios. Um, so listeners hang in there listen to a, a gorgeous local lady of lit uh while the four of us demonstrate an exquisite corpse a collaborative writing exercise where we each add lines to each other's stories i i read a the first chapter of this book a year ago here and um you all didn't stop me so I went ahead and sold it. <laughs> and it's real. It's a real book. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels uh, good to come back. Um, I grew up with these statues of Tom and Huck all around. And I always wondered what it would be like if Tom and Huck were a female friendship. So I wrote this book to figure it out. So I'm going to read to you from a scene in the middle where Laura Brooks, our protagonist, and her best friend Rose um, are just hanging out, and you'll get the idea. Um, Rose and Laura have one of those friendships that are not that great for you, much like Tom and Huck, where you sort of can't quit each other and at the same time covet what the other one has. Uh, the only thing you need to know about, about at this point in the story is that Rose... Um, affectionately calls her husband the bastard. That's his entire name. In the Save-A-Lot aisle, Rose complains about the bastard and his latest antics. She talks loudly, and people keep peering over the aisles to get a good look at the drama she's stirring up. Rose pretends she doesn't see any of them, like she doesn't enjoy a little scene. She picks up some hair dye, reads the label. She's been a bleach blonde since middle school. It suits her olive skin and makes her brown eyes wide like a doe's. Rose in her uniform of tight jeans and clingy mesh layers, she could still pull off Madonna if she wanted to. So, I say, lowering my voice and hoping she'll do the same. How's Bobby handling the divorce? Rose doesn't like to talk about how bad all this is for him. She always insists he's fine, just fine, but I don't think so. I know what it's like to grow up without a daddy around. It leaves a pit that nothing fills. What about Bobby? Rob, Rose shrugs. He wants one of those expensive costumes and the bastard won't even help. You wouldn't believe this shit I have to do just to pay our bills. It's all the bastard's fault. Hand me some gum, will you? I hand her a pack of Bubblicious, the strawberry kind. Bobby's a big boy. It's up to him. That's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with you. How can you say that? Because it's true. It's up to Bobby. I birthed him and raised him. If he wants to go live with the bastard, I'm not going to stop him. Rose reads the side of the bubblicious as if she's more interested in the ingredients than what I have to say. You've got to try, at least. You just let him go? That ain't, this ain't just about you, Rose. 
I snatch the gum out of her hand and shove it back on the shelf. It's a small, petty move, but it's all I've got. Rose looks from the package to me, crosses her arms over her chest, and pushes up her cleavage even more. Look, I told Bobby what he should do. Of course I want him with me. I have to trust that Jesus has a plan, though. I ain't going to go over there and drag his butt home, am I? He'd only hate me. He's old enough to figure this out. He's barely 12. And what if he makes a mistake? What if he chooses Josh and then finds out what a jerk he is and wants to come home? You going to hold that against him? Why would I do that? And who do you think you're talking to? You ain't his mama, you know. She walks the aisle for three full minutes, ignoring me. The newsman on the TV behind the counter announces the rising flood stages and warns of more thunderstorms. Then Rose comes back with her finger in my face. Everyone's got problems, Laura. What makes you think you're so special anyway? I don't answer. I don't think I'm special, but I did ex expect some sympathy from my best friend. Rose pays for my six-pack and holds open the door. It's not enough. I gotta go, I say. I swallow a yawn and blink my eyes. I haven't slept well since I've been home, and I'm not a mama, and I probably never will be. I can't even keep a man. Even the stray cat I've been feeding at Mama's house keeps running away. Come on, don't be that way, Rose says. She loops her arm through mine. You know what I mean. You'll be a good mama. You just haven't found the right guy. Kids love you. Bobby's crazy about you. You're just giving up too easy. Rose never gives up, even when she's wrong. The summer after third grade at the Tom Sawyer days with a full bag of quarters, she refused to get off the Ferris wheel said the ride wasn't long enough and kept squeezing my knee hard to keep me in the bucket seat with her. No, the ride ain't done, she said. I paid good money and it was too short. That's a week of paper route coin there. We're riding again. The hot metal made my thighs itch, but Rose wouldn't let me move. Stay, she pleaded. I tried to push up the seat bar, holding us in. Stay, she yelled, like I was a dog. No, Rose, I'm getting out. The ride is over. Is there a problem, little ladies? The slimy carny worker had slick black blonde hair with stiff comb lines. A cigarette hung in his mouth and bobbed up and down when he talked like pony boy in The Outsiders. He leaned over the seat into Rose's face and ash fell on her knee near the burn marks someone else had given her. Ride's over. Get out, girls. We ain't moving. You said five minutes. It ain't been five minutes, and we're going again. Suit yourself, he said, and pushed the lock bar back into place. You can ride it all night for I care. I hope you puke. We rose until the stars came out. I smelled popcorn each time we got close to the ground and thought of sticky pink cotton candy. I'm going to have a funnel cake, Rose said, when the ride is over. But we kept riding, looking down on the people as they got smaller and smaller, and we got farther and farther away. Rose held my hand, her sweaty palm in mine, for the whole ride. Thank you. That was Melissa Scholes Young reading at an interloop event from her novel Flood. And while you were listening to Melissa, we were 
busy writing a communal exquisite corpse wherein we or four first four four of them <laughs> four of them. <laughs> that's right wherein we each wrote the first line and the genre of a story and passed it on to the next person who only got to see the line before one they would write until it finally came back to the original writer who finished it off and then got to unhide everything and give the story a title. So isn't Exquisite Quartz, it's named after Frankenstein, or? Uh, no, it comes from a, a French, uh, uh, God, it's. Oh, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's, it it's, comes it's, from it's, a French, uh, it's, <laughs> it was actually, um, I think it may have originated in the visual arts, um, where where visual artists would um, pass on like unfinished drawings and and things between each other. Um, you know, yeah, there's a really good one that Frida Kahlo once did. <laughs> <It's like Tom. laughs> anyway, speaking of inspiring ladies, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that goes. Okay, so we're each gonna read uh, the result of the one that we started, although we each collaborated on everyone um so who wants to go first three two one i'll go (laughs) so this is chris Um, okay chris hit it the title is cobwebs and the genre is mystery it was an unusual day far outside of routine while the birds may be chirping the air itself was stilled with anticipation and she felt an anxious tingling of her spine They'd gotten word that it would be coming, though estimates for exactly when ranged from within the hour to within the month. So all there was left to do was wait, huddled in the corners or blankets or in dark corners of their minds and hope that the damage wouldn't be too great. And so came the wait, dark as it was, and as it continued, something thick cobwebbed the corners of their minds. Oh, oh my, my god, god, it's so apropos! <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like high mind. It's perfect for a coronavirus, y'all. <laughs> that that turned out really well. Yeah. Usually they don't turn out that well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, this is Courtney. I'll go. Okay, ready? This is a prose poem, and it's called Spring Still. In the way that it was, it was the same away as always. We were neither coming nor going, dying nor being born. But the daffodils still bloomed, and they were early this year, and we were all worried they would be overcome with frost and tip over from the weight. Imagine such a beauty, petals dipped in ice, an alchemy of chill and taste cascading on the tongue. For just a moment, we were young. Wow, these are so good. (laughs) Who knew that the Hannah, Chris, Courtney, Rachel combo is like, we should like publish these. I'm going to go next because I don't want mine to be the grand finale. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. This is Rachel. This is a punk rock epic poem, although it's not very epic. It's quite short, but. (laughs) It's called Ready. Georgie, the punk rock girl, started her journey on her skateboard, as was her custom. The day smelled fresh, like a newly rolled cigarette. The kind of day where battles against the banality of third-wave capitalism could be fought. (laughs) It was time to strap on the Doc Martens and go. 
So she did, leaving behind what had passed and looking forward into the horizon. Yeah. All right. It's like <laughs> a beginning to an epic poem. Okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like you can imagine the rest. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, I will finish this off, uh, ironically enough, um, with a romance. Uh, Yay. Um, <laughs> Um, it's called uh, yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, it's called Mixology in the Sheets. Um, she was so f- focused working towards her goal that dating wasn't remotely on her checklist, but sex, sex definitely was. A lady has to relieve all that stress somehow. She'd come to find that strangers just wouldn't do, but the time it took to grow intimacy was both exhausting and unavailable. She needed something in between. Just then she noticed Dylan, her craft cocktail bartender, as if for the first time, and she admired the sleekness of his beard and the beadiness of his brown eyes, the hidden dimples behind his smile. A warmth spread through her every time she saw him, starting at her core, or rather just below, and spreading to her thighs, belly, and breasts. As with everything, she took decisive action. Ready or not, here she (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Oh my god, these are great. Bravo. (laughs) Chris, thank you guys so much for joining us. This was a blast and a much needed respite from the insanity of the world. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. That's our show. Join us every other Friday at noon right here on Full Service Radio or anytime on your favorite podcasting app. We will continue to publish episodes throughout the coronavirus quarantine from the safety of our homes. To find out more about us or submit to read at a future event sometime in the future, maybe, we hope, visit us at one day. Today's episode was produced by Courtney Sexton, and our theme music is by Andrew Logan. Thanks again to Hannah Hannah Oliver Depp and Kristen Zori King for joining us on the show. And Two triple names. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and friends, head on over to Facebook, where we can all virtually collaborate on perhaps the next great American novel. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget to A, stay safe, B, stay sane, and C, subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy writing, everyone. Right on. Right on.